I'm going to be discussing the second most important question. The other speakers today have been talking about what I think is the most important question. Uh, what did Christ do for us and when? To succinctly sum up what the other speakers said, Christ ended the Old Covenant, destroyed that people, and brought us into the New Covenant, the New Heaven and New Earth, the Church, and he made us children of God. <clears throat> uh, this is the version of full preterism that is commonly called covenant eschatology. Uh, eschatology meaning the study of the end. So the end of the old covenant is what our, our primary concern, our primary concern is. Um, and, as you notice, a lot of these speakers are talking also about Genesis topics. Well, that's right and proper. The entire book of Revelation, two-thirds of it, is allusions to the first four chapters of Genesis. Christ compared the compared the end to the flood, and the end is bigger than the flood. So, the second most important question is, where did we come from? Now, people are obsessed with this, answering this question. Uh, in po post-enlightenment culture, which is our culture here, by we, we generally mean mankind. But historically, by we, we've met our nation, our people. So which of these two types of where did we come from is the Bible answering? We just assume. Okay. Uh, now, for example, as Americans, our father was George Washington. It doesn't matter if you are a naturalized citizen a week ago. It doesn't matter if your ancestors have been here 400 years. It doesn't matter if your ancestors came over as, as slaves or illegally across the border or, or legally, wherever. If you are a U.S. citizen, your father is George Washington. What's more, our first father is Captain John Smith of Jamestown. If you don't recall the name, think of the Pocahontas story. None of us here today have either of those two men top of our bloodline. It's not blood, it's covenant. We are in Americans. That is our covenant nationality. This is what we need to get in mind. Quit thinking of this physical stuff and start thinking about covenant. <clears throat> oh. So which kind of origin story do we find in the Bible? Genesis tell, does Genesis tell us where all man came from? Now, all sides in the creation versus evolution debate assume that that's what 
Genesis is addressing. Where did mankind come from? Uh, Three quarters of the time the word Adam is used in scripture, it's even translated man. Even when it's talking about Adam, they just translate it man. Or does Genesis tell us where Israel came from? After all, it's Israel's story. Personally, I think this should be a safer assumption when dealing with scripture. But sadly, this has to be proven before people will even consider the point. Okay, well, consider this. Did the, barbarian, did the ancients care where the barbarians came from? Well, those were just foreigners. They're not us. We don't care. We have our story. Did they care where the slaves came from? Not at all. What mattered is where did we, as a people, come from? Each ancient nation had its own story, their own history. Covenant creation views Genesis as Israel's history, Israel's answer to where where did Israel come from? Though it's obvious to those of us who have been working on the issue, this wasn't obvious when we first tackled the problem. Now, uh, in 89, I became aware that there was a problem with problem with young earth creationism and that it was insolvable. In, um, I've now been a preterist for 30 years. Uh, I first heard of somebody making a distinction between full preterism and partial preterism uh, 21 years ago and realized, oh, I didn't know what I was as far as being a preterist is concerned, but I've never been partial about anything and quickly studied and became, was within weeks, a full preterist. And thinking back, Thinking back on it and what I believed, I actually, I've come to realize I was actually what's called a preterist idealist, similar to what John Noe believes, if those of you are familiar with him. Uh, Okay, so why study Genesis? Um, Why did Tim Martin and I take on Genesis? Well, at the time, most preterists had assumed young earth creationism and full preterists had mostly ignored early Genesis. The very few preterist statements that full preterists had made, though, concerning the text of early Genesis was clearly contradicted the the young earth creationism that they were assuming. In fact, I was asked numerous times, why don't you fix young earth creationism? Well, I already tried that. I gave up on that um, because it's impossible. But here's some examples. Christians are the new creation. Um, If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation and old things. And it literally says, and the old one has passed away. The old creation has passed away. 
uh, that's a problem here. You know, most people go and tell us, oh, there's lots of different well, creations in heaven and earth and stuff and make things up. And I'll get to that in detail a little bit later. But if we are the new heaven and new earth, well, then what passed away was the first heaven and first earth, as we're told in Revelation 21, and there is no more sea. That's a strong allusion to Genesis 1 passing away. Uh, but nobody seems to take that seriously. They've got other ideas of what of some other heaven and earth that's the first one that came in in between. And this was a source of confusion for years. Okay, Adam's death was not physical death. And the judgment was a covenant judgment. Uh, Wait a minute, If if it's a covenant judgment, then we should have had a covenant. When When did that start? And, of course, Adam's death is not a physical death because Adam saved us from death. And I don't know about you, but I fully expect to die of old age somewhere in the next 45 years or so. Uh, And if, if if I don't do something stupid or get in the way of somebody doing something stupid before then. Uh, So, and the futurists will basically tell us that we are dying physical deaths because of our sin. Christ saved me from my sin. And yet you're telling me I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer the penalty of my own sin, even though Jesus didn't save me? Okay. Ah. The martyrs who were under the altar in Revelation were already dead. And yet, in that dead state, they lived and reigned a thousand years, which appears to have been at most 40. So this is really some symbol of eternal life, as we like to call it. And it's actually making an allusion to the Genesis 5 um, genealogy, and none of those people lived a thousand years. The destruction of Sodom and of Jerusalem, excuse me, was compared directly to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and to the Genesis flood. Also, the destruction of Nineveh, Tyre, and Sidon are compared directly to the destruction of the Genesis flood. Jerusalem was the greatest of these judgments. Now, if it's the biggest, how can it be bigger than a worldwide judgment? We've got a little problem here. The nature of these things had not been settled and they could not be settled, settled without a proper study of Genesis. In 2001, Tim Martin published a pamphlet called, titled Beyond Creation Science. This was the first book to make an argument for a local or regional Genesis flood from Scripture. 
Anybody else's book arguing for a local flood is arguing from science or archaeology or something. They are, and then they're babbling mostly about scripture. They don't really say anything coherent. Uh, and the reason is most of them are dispensationalists. Even the people who are teaching teaching a local flood, most of them are dispensationalists, just like the ones teaching the global flood. They, the most severe form of futurism. Well, Tim made the, made the case in this book, and this case has never been refuted. The critics have repeated common young earth creationist arguments, just like the critics of full preterism repeat the common, the common futurist arguments, but they never engage the actual arguments we, we've developed and presented. So I'm, you've noticed that in your debates. The debater will go on and on and on about how this means something as if it's been proven. Um, well, covenant creation applies covenant eschatology to Genesis. That's as simple as I can make it. Logically, if you have a physical eschatology, which all forms of futurism are, it implies a physical creation and a physical creation implies a physical eschatology. All forms of futurism expect a physical end of planet Earth and the universe. And they are expecting a physical end of the presumed physical creation. Young Earth creation has always been strongly tied to the most extreme forms of futurism that are Seventh-day Adventism and the the 60s Jesus movement uh, dispensationalism. Being from Southern California, if I were in my 70s instead of my 60s, I would have been right in there with the Jesus freaks. That's where it was, Costa Mesa, 12 miles south of where we now live. Uh, Equally logically, covenant eschatology implies a covenant creation, and covenant creation implies a covenant eschatology. Now, for those of you who haven't heard this before, it's a little rough, it's a little tough, but I'm going to go into some more here. Okay. Uh, starting with Luther about, a th- about 500 years ago, we've been taught that there were seven old covenants. The Edenic covenant, which is Genesis 1 through until Adam's sin. The Adamic covenant, Adam's sin on. The Noah covenant, Noah after the flood. The Sinai Covenant, given at Horeb with Moses. I don't like the term using Sinai because there's no evidence that Sinai is actually where Moses went to. And we don't know where Horeb, which is the name of the place in the book of Exodus, was. 
the Deuteronomy Palestinian Covenant or Moses' Second Covenant, 40 years later, the Davidic Covenant and Ezra's Covenant. Those of you who are counting may have noticed I listed eight. There have been hundreds of scholars over the centuries discussing seven old covenants and they won't they can't fully agree on which 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 of those eight they are. Since they like to say seven, I'll keep saying seven, but this is a problem. All of these were followed, or these were all followed, by the new covenant with Christ, the new covenant in Christ. Now, most full preterists recognize that this mess of covenants would mean first century Israel would be subject to seven different old covenants, or eight. Um, as the father of the new and final covenant, Christ was called the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15.45. Every one of those covenants should have an Adam. Okay, so who is the Adam for each of those seven old covenants? Uh, first of all, was the first Adam the head, the head of the Edenic Covenant or the Adamic Covenant? Already we've got a problem. Uh, Was Noah ever compared to Adam? No. Was Abraham ever compared to Adam? No. Uh, Was Moses the Adam of the covenant given at Horeb or or of the Deuteronomy Palestinian second Moses covenant? This multi-covenant view is starting to sound pretty silly. Uh, Was David ever compared to Adam? Was Ezra ever compared to Adam? The scholarly seven old covenants view results in confusion and questions that we can't answer. Certainly not biblically. Only Christ was compared to Adam and Adam only had one covenant. So, when did that old covenant begin? Since the 1970s, full preterists have understood Genesis 3 to be a covenant judgment. Well, if you are judged under a covenant, then the covenant had to already be in place. We don't have much room there, do we? I've identified three places where the covenant could have begun. If you think of any more, let me know. The first one is the Old Covenant had no beginning in Scripture. It just was. Uh, The heaven and earth of Genesis 1 had a beginning, but never ends. The heaven and earth that ended with the destruction of the Jewish people and the temple and the city of Jerusalem, 
That heaven and earth had no beginning. Um, and this, this is inadvertently what Preterist John Noe teaches. I don't know if he realizes this or not, but it is what he teaches. Okay? So, there's no beginning in Scripture. Then we have Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, the Old Covenant began in Genesis 2. Uh, first of all, this ignores 500 years of scholarship on the Edenic Covenant. Now, we know there's a problem with that scholarship because it just leads to confusion. And a bit, I'll show you some, uh, a couple other problems. But there's something there in that scholarship it's a value. Yeah. Uh, William Bell teaches this view. And um, this view, of course, has the heaven and earth of Genesis 1 had a beginning but never ends. And the beginning of the heaven and earth that ended is implied but not stated. And I think it's something that important. It shouldn't just be implied. It needs to be stated. And so that leaves the Old Covenant began in Genesis 1. This outright suggests that the heaven and earth of Genesis 1 was the heaven and earth that passed away at the end of the New Testament era. This further suggests that the Edenic Covenant view and the physical creation view have always been a source of confusion. Um, I've looked for years and I've found nothing new about people who talk about the Edenic Covenant. They never, they all talk about physical creation, but they never talk about the two together. They never resolve this issue. Is it a covenant beginning or is it a physical beginning? 500 years of scholarship that has ignored this, what, this crucial issue. Uh, not quite. Uh, Calvinist full preterist Ward Finley, Mike Sullivan, and Tim King, the one from Grand Junction, not the son of Max King, chose to directly take on this confusion in 2006 and tried to resolve it with a both-and view. Uh, needless to say, they failed miserably, um, and, and they all three agree that they failed miserably and have abandoned physical creation completely. Um, so, which should we go, physical creation or Edenic creation? Well... Tim's and my previous work had shown there's no possible way to make sense of Genesis 1 as physical creation. So, a purely covenantal view was born. So what is covenant creation? There is only one old covenant, and it started in Genesis 1. The heaven and earth of Genesis 1 is the heaven and earth that passed away at the end of the Old Testament era. 
The first Adam was their prophet and priest and king. And Christ is our prophet and priest and king. The people became known as Adamites or simply Adam. Now, this summary suggests that there were numerous people, but initially Tim and I only imagined just Adam and Eve were present in the garden. In the 15 years since, this view has helped settle the important questions that preterists have had. What is the nature of the heaven and earth? And even even our full preterist critics who believe that covenant creation is full of, we're full of ourselves, um, have come to accept our understanding of heaven and earth. And you've heard it four times this morning from other speakers. Um, The nature of Adam's death. uh, And I can actually add more detail. Been adding more detail to it. And it's getting better and better settled. And what Christ truly did for us. Because part of it is the undoing of what happened in Genesis 3. And today, the most pressing question amongst the full Preter scholars is the nature of sin. We're told in Scripture that there be an end to sin, no more sin. What does that mean? And we've got people saying, well, baptism's for the remission of sins, and since there's no more sin, we don't need to be baptized. And I can say baloney to that, and prove it from scripture because of covenant creation. Okay, let's look at some examples. Hosea 6-7, like Adam, they, and they in this case is Ephraim and Judah, have transgressed the covenant. They were unfaithful to me. Because most translations translate Adam as man, it generally says like man, uh, what covenant did man transgress? No. Adam transgressed the covenant in Genesis 3. And they, Israel, transgressed the covenant, the same covenant. Israel transgressed the same covenant that Adam transgressed. That covenant that Adam transgressed was the Edenic covenant, and Adam was under its judgment from Genesis 3 on, and Israel brought themselves under that same judgment. There was only one covenant, not seven. Isaiah 43.1, this is what the Lord who created Jacob and formed Israel says, and you can read the rest of the verse, but, but Jacob was created Now, the young earth creationists will go on and on and on about what this word creation means. But ultimately, in this context, if I can take half of what they say true as being true, Jacob was created just the same as Adam was created in Genesis 1. Well, we know who Jacob's mother was. We know who Jacob's father was. 
We don't know who Adam's mother and father were. But what is, so what does created mean? Uh, well, Adam was created the first prophet and priest and king of God's people. Jacob was the last man to be prophet and priest and king of God's people. It's a covenant position. After Jacob, prophet and priest and king, Judah was the king. Levi was the priest. And the prophets came from all over the family. Jacob was the last person to be created as Adam was. And this is obviously not, then, a physical creation. And Isaiah 43, 27, your first father sinned. And those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. Their first father. Who is the who is the only patriarch known for his sin? Adam. Oh, but Noah sinned, he got drunk. Oh, but Abraham lied to Pharaoh. Oh, oh. Nowhere are any of those condemned in Scripture as being sin. If, if Scripture doesn't call it sin, I'm, I think we should be not so light with our accusations. Scripture doesn't say what those men did was sin. So, if we're going to be true to Scripture, we shouldn't call it that either. Adam is the only patriarch known for his sin. Adam was the first father of Israel. Now, if Adam's the first father of Israel, sort of like Captain John Smith is the first father of the United States, but we have Abraham as our father, and you have Adam as your first father. You wouldn't have Abraham if you didn't have Adam. <clears throat> okay, let's discuss specifically the first in you heaven and earth. Isaiah 63, 17, which you've seen a couple of times this morning. It starts out, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And I'm going to skip to verse 23. They shall not labor in vain... That is an allusion to the Genesis 3, the end of the Genesis 3 curse on Adam. Nor bring forth children for trouble. And this is an allusion to the end of the curse on the woman. For they shall be the seed of the blessed Lord and their children with them. And dust skipping to the middle of verse 25, and dust shall be the serpent's food. That's an allusion to the curse on the serpent will continue. Well, in the new heavens and new earth, there's still a curse? Oh, on the serpent? Well, that... Take your pick. There's no curse or there's still curses. Um, 
So, the curse on Adam and the curse on the woman would end in the new heaven and the new earth. Why? Because they would be the seed of the blessed Lord. They would be children of God, 1 John 3, 1. They would be heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. We are children of God. We are heirs of Christ. We are in the new heaven and the new earth. So we know, we know from that alone, we are in the new heaven and new earth. It's all fulfilled. The old covenant is ended. We are in the new covenant, the new heaven and new earth. And that old covenant went back at least to Adam's sin, the curse. The death in Genesis 3 is explained by this verse. Now we know Adam was created, Luke tells us, created a son of God. And yet, Adam's descendants are not sons of God. It's only in the new heaven and new earth. That was Adam's death. He was disowned and reduced to being a servant. A servant toils for the master. And the servant's wives do not produce heirs. They produce servants. And that's the trouble, the pain of childbearing. She's not producing an heir, a son, to a future for herself and her family. She was producing another servant for the master. We have a very clear picture here of what Adam's death was. Israel, because of Adam's sin, had been reduced to being servants. And Genesis 1, the Genesis 1 heaven and earth was the heaven and earth of Adam's sin and death. And ended with the new heaven and new earth of Christ. Uh, Did I answer your question there about death? (laughs) <laughs> I think so. I mean, I'm, I'll call on you. Okay. It's, this stuff is new to everybody, and it took me, it took me over a year for it to sink in. But, and I hope I can get it through people's mind quicker than it took me to get there. Okay. <clears throat> Let's look at sin and the law. Folk, predators, scholars. Um are now starting to tackle the problem of the end of sin, no more sin. And, of course, some of those full preterists are claiming that there is no more sin. That means no sin at all. Well, how does covenant creation help this? Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 13. For until the law was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, 
who is a type of him who was to come. Oh, Adam's a type of the one to come, Jesus. Well, I have heard in my 60-some years more sermons on how death entered the whole world through Adam. But I've not heard anybody speak of this issue of imputed sin versus sin that is not imputed or charged. But as far as I know, I am literally the first person, as far as I know, I'm literally the first person to write about this issue. And I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm just some somebody who likes to ask questions that get me in trouble. Uh, so we need we need some people, some scholars who know the Bible better than I do to write to start working on this and figuring it out. Uh, and verse fourteen. Well, who are these people who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam? We're usually told, well, anyone sin you do condemns you to hell. I've heard that for over 60 years. What? But no. Adam sinned. And Sins like it are the ones that condemn you to the death. Not, there are lots of sins apparently that God really doesn't care about. He's not going to worry about them. That's obviously there in the text. No scholar has mentioned it. All likewise, all ignored this obvious question: Who had not sinned like Adam sinned? Now, does this mean that these sins we imagine that the patriarchs committed that are never called sin? Ah, okay. My children wander a bit. I'm not going to worry about it too much. But other sins are worse. Yet, what we've been told, the whole doctrine that's been developed over the last 500 or 2,000 years does not, does not match and outright ignores verses 13 and 14. Okay. So... Uh, for those of you still holding on to a physical creation view, especially young earth creationism, uh, Tim Martin and I developed these three points back in 2007, and we had two, two well-known preterists who actually left preterism and are now yapping against it because... They couldn't refute these three. So, so for 
if you believe in any form of preterism, full or partial, consistency in scripture requires us to conclude the Genesis flood was God's judgment on God's people. Not a global judgment on all people. And I'm going to go into detail about each of these three in just a bit. For those who are full preterists, consistency in scripture requires us to conclude that Adam's death ended when Jerusalem was judged and destroyed. Whatever Adam's death was. And for those who hold to covenant eschatology, consistency in scripture requires us to conclude that the first heaven and first earth that passed away was the heaven and earth of Genesis 1. And like I said, that was enough to drive two well-known full preterists completely out. And now they are vocal book writing known people against us. Um, Frost. I'm sorry? Sam Frost. Sam Frost is one of them. In fact, we wrote these for Sam Frost. <laughs> and Tim, when he wrote, Tim and I, when we wrote them down, Tim said, when Sam Frost, when Sam Frost does what, what Don Preston is always saying and catches the power of this, He's going to reject preterism and be gone. And and uh, about nine months later, Sam Frost was on his radio podcast telling about how it was all my fault that uh, that he was leaving preterism. Uh, there was another fellow who left even sooner, and that again was my fault. Uh, I don't know why you didn't give Tim any credit for it, but so <laughs> uh, <clears throat> oh, uh, the first one: Are you full or partial preterists? Consistency in Scripture, as I said, requires us to conclude the Genesis flood. It was God's judgment on God's people. Uh, what drove us to that conclusion? A lot of people have accused us of letting science or atheistic evolution determine how we read scripture. Any honest reading of beyond creation science will put that to rest. We discuss scripture. We discuss a little bit of history. We do not discuss science. Um, for reference, chapters 7 through 9, we have 30-some arguments, all based on Scripture, for why the Scripture demands a local, regional view of Genesis flood. We have more arguments interspersed elsewhere in the text, and we have an appendix that answers some of the main arguments used by young earth creationists. Most of these arguments have been in print now for over 20 years, to date, not one of our critics has responded to either our arguments or our critiques of young earth creationist arguments. They'll just spout their old, same old arguments. Just as they do when they attack preterism. Uh, so in 
As preterists, we know what dispensationalists mean by proven true. They believe it, that settles it. They misread it, they believe it, that settles it. <laughs> okay, I'll let you read Beyond Creation Science yourself, but I'd like to point out, all through Scripture, we see the words earth, world, and man or mankind. In eschatology, does earth mean planet earth? Never. It refers to specific people, namely the, the Jews in, in and around Judah, Galilee, and Jerusalem. And earth doesn't mean planet earth in Genesis either. Uh, we know this to be true in the famine in Egypt. It covered the whole entire earth, the, entire, the whole face of the earth for the famine. And as Tim cleverly wrote in our book, uh, does that mean um, American Indian um, Jews, uh, American Indians came to Egypt? Does that mean Eskimos came to Egypt? Does that mean Australian Aborigines came to Egypt to buy grain from Pharaoh? No. <laughs> Audience relevance. Exactly. And in Genesis 8, which is the end of the flood account, the face of the earth was dry for nearly two months before the earth was dry. And we know planet earth was never dry. Still had the oceans. So what does face of the earth mean? And what does earth mean and if planet Earth is never dry, it's obviously referring to some local area, and we have to study carefully to make sure we get it right, but it's not a planet. In eschatology, does the word world mean planet Earth? No. Uh, world typically means a particular people of a particular generation, in fact. And world doesn't mean planet Earth in Genesis either. In eschatology, does man or mankind refer to all human beings? No. It refers to people, a group of people, the people. Same as in Genesis. If we're going to be consistent in our eschatology and our uh, creation, we've got to see that if you believe in any form of preterism, oh, Earth does not mean planet Earth. World does not mean pl planet Earth. Man or mankind does not mean all human beings. It doesn't mean it in the flood account, just as it doesn't mean it in the rest of Scripture. <clears throat> okay, are you a full preterist? Consistency in Scripture requires us to conclude that Adam's death ended when Jerusalem was judged and destroyed. Christ has not saved you from physical death. Christ will not save you from physical death. If physical death is the result of sin, then you will die in your sins. Christ has not and will not save you. 
But Christ has saved you. Salvation is complete. Therefore, physical death is not the result of sin. And we saw from that example in Isaiah 65. No. Physical death is being disowned by God, no longer being his son. Excuse me. The biblical death is being disowned by God, no longer being God's son. And you hold to covenant eschatology. You hold to the belief that the first heavens and first earth passed away. Um, that uh, the, the first earth, heavens and first earth that passed away is the old covenant. Then consistency requires you to believe that that was the heaven and earth. The first heavens and first earth was the heaven and earth of Genesis 1. Uh, we've already discussed Matt, Isaiah 65. Uh, consider Matthew 5.18. For certain I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot nor one tittle of the law will pass away. Uh, do you obey every jot and tittle of the Sabbath law? I don't. I lit a fire to cook breakfast this morning. I had to travel miles today to get here. Direct violation of the Old Testament Sabbath law. In your life and in my life, our lives testify that numerous jots and tittles of the Sabbath law, at least, not the rest of the law, have passed away, that heaven and earth have passed away. Another example that... We are in the new covenant, the new heavens and new earth. Okay. Which heaven and earth was this that passed away? Let's consider the fifth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 8 following. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. The Genesis 1, heaven and earth, was given as the very reason for the Sabbath law. What heaven and earth has to pass away for the Sabbath law to be gone? The same heavens and earth that was the reason for it. So the Genesis 1, heavens and earth, is the heavens and earth that passed away. So some, some concluding thoughts. Scripture answers the age-old question, how did we as a people get here? Specifically for Israel, not biological, like the evolution-creation debate that has been raging for 60 years now. And actually, I guess, back to the Scopes monkey trial, <clears throat> where both sides were wrong there, too. Uh, this question is not concerned with physical origins, but with covenantal origins. Covenant eschatology breaks from the confused tradition of a physical end and points us to a covenant end. A covenant end implies a covenant beginning 
Covenant creation is that covenant beginning. 